Welcome to the Simple Money, Simple Life podcast. I am Matt Erickson, and I'm your host. This is a podcast where we explore how simplicity beats complexity, especially in money matters. We explore investing, personal finance, and how to live a simple and awesome life. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 79 titled The Psychology of Money. And I did a podcast episode earlier in my podcasting called Psychology and Money. This one's called The Psychology of Money, which is a little different. And today I'm going to share with you some insights from a book called The Psychology of Money, written by Morgan Housel. And I like some of his concluding comments in his book and thought they were right in line with what we try to teach on this podcast. So I thought I would share those with you, my audience, to hopefully help you like uh, this book helped me. I would recommend that you all read it. I think it's a really good book with some cool twists on money concepts that maybe you haven't thought of before. So one thing he said is that no matter how much you earn, you will never build wealth unless you can put a lid on how much fun you can have with your money right now today. So I like that principle because he's right. There has to be an element of deferred gratification for us to build wealth and to get ahead. And building wealth is different than being rich. Being rich is making a lot of money. Building wealth is knowing how to not spend money, but saving money. And so another thing he says is to manage your money in a way that helps you sleep at night. So I'll go on to talk a little bit more about how he manages his money. But sometimes you might need to be a little more conservative with your money and your allocation so that you can sleep well at night and not be stressed. He says the foundation of does this help me sleep at night is the best universal universal guidepost for all financial decisions. And so in other words, we got to be able to live with our financial decisions and be at peace with them and be able to sleep at night. He teaches that If you want to be a better investor, the single most powerful thing you can do is increase your time horizon. Time is the most powerful force in investing. And of course, what he's talking about is compounding and being able to start young and have your money compound over time, uh, specifically in the index funds is what we talk about on this podcast, but giving your, it's amazing how slowly compounding starts out, but After you get into it, sometimes it takes as long as 20 years, but once you've kind of laid that foundation, it can really take off. Another concept he talks about that I really like is to use money to gain control over your time. He said the ability to do what you want, when you want, with who you want, for as long as you want, pays the highest dividend that exists in finance. And so he's an advocate of learning to control your impulses and manage your spending and have self-discipline so that, not just because, but to earn your own independence of all these factors he just talked about, to be able to do what we want when we want to do it, and to not feel pressure from outside sources to do it differently. Another point he makes, which I like, is to be nicer and less flashy. He said, no one is impressed with your possessions as much as you are. You might think you want a fancy car or a nice watch, but what you probably want is respect and admiration, and you're more likely to gain those through kindness and humility than horsepower and chrome. We've talked a lot about that over the episodes, 
And I completely agree with him. He says, savings that aren't earmarked for anything in particular is a hedge against life's inevitable ability to surprise the hell out of you at the worst possible moment. He's a believer in having a comfortable emergency fund because he proves through his book on repeated occasions of how uh, unprecedented, unpredictable things happen financially in the world and sometimes as individuals so that being able to be prepared for those will be a great um, and fortunate blessing for those who are prepared. So he has, which we'll get into in a minute, a large cash cushion to help absorb those shock shock waves and tornadoes and rough seas when they present themselves. Okay, moving on to kind of the next principle, he said that half of all mutual fund portfolio managers do not invest a cent in the, of their own money in their own funds, according to Morningstar. So again, this goes back to what we've talked about before, which I'm a fan of index investing, not active management. And if half of active managers aren't willing to invest in their own product, that should kind of give us an indicator of kind of what's happening. He talked about an interesting study done at USC by a professor named Ken Murray about how doctors die. And it was very interesting. He said doctors don't die like the rest of us. What's unusual about them is not how much treatment they get compared to most Americans, but how little. For all the time they spend fending off deaths of others, they tend to be fairly serene when faced with death themselves. They know exactly what is going to happen, they know the choices, and they generally have access to any sort of medical care they want. But they go gently. So he was talking about how they focus on more a different kind of approach to medicine based more on staying comfortable and not prolonging misery and that it's kind of an interesting way to look at it. So Charlie Munger is one of the leaders of Berkshire Hathaway along with Warren Buffett. And he said, I did not intend to get rich. I just wanted to get independent. So uh, the author Morgan Housel goes on to say, we can leave aside rich but independence has always been my personal financial goal. Chasing the highest returns or leveraging my assets to live the most luxurious life has little interest to me. I mostly just want to wake up every day knowing my family and I can do whatever we want to do on our own terms. Let's see. So then, uh, let's see, I want to go on. He talked about his doctor who was a doctor, sorry, his father, who was an emergency room doctor. And he lived very frugally because during medical school, they had three children, so they were pretty dirt poor. And then they became financially wealthy. And he was in this emergency room doctor position for 20 years and then just spur of the moment decided to quit. And he decided to quit and move on to the next phase of his life. And Morgan Housel said, quote, that's, that stuck with me, being able to wake up one morning and change what you're doing on your own terms whenever you're ready seems like the grandmother of all financial goals. Independence, to me, doesn't mean you'll stop working. It means you only do the work you like with people you like at the times you want for as long as you want. And achieving some level of independence does not rely on earning a doctor's income. It's mostly a matter of keeping your expectations in check and living below your means. Independence at any income level is driven by your savings rate. 
and past a certain level of income, your saving rate is driven by your ability to keep your lifestyle expectations from running away. So Morgan is saying that really the most important factor in deriving your own financial independence is your savings rate. It's having a bigger shovel or a bigger income obviously helps. But oftentimes, for example, if you save 50% of your salary when you're making 50000 a year versus 100000 a year, obviously it's going to be a different amount. But typically the people who make 50000 a year and live on twenty five have a lower lifestyle that doesn't cost as much as maybe someone making 100 living on 50. So in other words, you don't have to have as much saved to be able to live the same lifestyle. So that's why savings rate is the most important part of the financial independence equation and keeping lifestyle in check. Uh, Morgan, well, I'll save that for a minute. He said, despite more than a decade of rising incomes, myself in finance, my wife in healthcare, we've moved We've more or less stayed at that lifestyle ever since. That's pushed our savings rate continually higher. Virtually every dollar of raise has accrued to savings, our independence fund. We now live considerably below our means. He said, if there's part of our household financial plan I'm proud of, it's that we got the goalpost of lifestyle desires to stop moving at a young age. He talks a lot about moving the goalpost, which is something we tend to do by human nature, which is, we have in our mind what will be a successful life, a comfortable life, and we get to that goalpost and then we move it thinking we need to add more to it. He says the single best thing that he and his wife have done is they have not moved the goalpost. They've continued to live pretty much the same way, which is comfortable for them, and they haven't moved the goalpost, meaning they saved everything extra. <clears throat> I really like what he says next. He says, most of what we get pleasure from Going for walks, reading, podcasts cost little, so we rarely feel like we're missing out. On the rare occasion when I question our savings rate, I think of the independence my parents earned from years of high savings, and I quickly come back. Independence is our top goal. A secondary benefit of maintaining a lifestyle below what you can afford is avoiding the psychological treadmill of keeping up with the Joneses. Comfortably living below what you can afford without much desire for more removes a tremendous amount of social pressure that many people in the modern first world subject themselves to. Nassim Talib explained, quote, true success is exiting some rat race to modulate one's activities for peace of mind, end of quote. He goes on to say, we own our house without a mortgage, which is the worst financial decision we've ever made, but the best decision we've ever made. Mortgage rates were absurdly low when we bought our house. Any rational advisor would recommend taking advantage of cheap money and investing extra savings in higher return assets like stocks. But our goal isn't to be coldly rational, just psychologically reasonable. The independent feeling I get from owning our house outright far exceeds the known financial gain I get from leveraging our assets with a cheap mortgage. On paper, it's defenseless, defenseless, but it works for us. We like it. That's what matters. Good decisions aren't always rational. At some point, you have to choose between being happy or being right. We also keep a higher percentage of our assets in cash than most financial advisors would recommend, something around 20% of our assets aside the value of our house. This is also close to indefensible on paper, and I'm not recommending it to others. It's just what works for us. We do it because cash is the oxygen of independence, and more importantly, we never want to be forced to sell stocks we own. So I love what Morgan teaches there about 
he owns his own house not because it was the right math decision, but because it was the right life decision. He wanted he slept better at night knowing that his house is paid for. Sure, he could have had a mortgage when he took his out around 3% probably, maybe even in the high twos, and which is very cheap money. But he decided to dump extra money into his mortgage and pay it off instead. And that works for him. And he's found that he can't defend the math, but he can defend it from a life choice. Also, having a lot of extra cash on hand, most financial advisors uh, believe that's a bad choice because cash will never keep up with inflation. And it's just lose, you're losing money as you store more cash. But for Morgan and his family, they like having a large cash cushion because it helps them sleep well at night. And it helps prepare them in case there's a time when such, he uses the oxygen example, you know, think of air. You don't really think of how important it is to be able to breathe air until you're underwater and you can't get air. Cash can be like the oxygen tank that you get when you're underwater and you need it. He goes on to say, Charlie Munger put it well. The first rule of compounding is to never interrupt it unnecessarily. So Charlie Munger, the half owner of Berkshire Hathaway, taught that the best thing you can do is let your money continue to compound, which means don't take money out of your IRA. Don't take 401k loans out. Don't get into debt if you don't have to. Uh, Morgan Housel goes on to say, every investor should pick a strategy that has the highest odds of successfully meeting their goals. And I think for most investors, dollar cost averaging into a low cost index fund will provide the highest odds of long-term success. He says the statistics show 85% of large cap active managers didn't beat the S&P 500 over the decade ending 2019. Spiva puts out a report. It's the S&P 500 versus active management report, which basically shows how active managers do. And typically over 20 year periods, 90% of the time index funds outperform active managers. So life is about playing the odds, he says. So effectively, what he is saying, he doesn't condemn active management. He says people who feel like they need to beat the market, active management is a way to do it. The odds just aren't in your favor. He believes index investing puts the odds more in your favor, but you have to be content with what the market gives you and not feel like you have to outperform it. He said, and that's about it. Effectively, all of our net worth is a house, a checking account, and some Vanguard index funds. It doesn't need to be more complicated than that for us. I like it simple. So Morgan is kind of uh, singing my music here, which I've preached on this podcast to keep it simple. And it's it's okay if you like more complication in your financial life. If you like uh, managing rental properties or you like accumulating precious metals or art or you like active management and trying to invest in individual stocks, if that's your thing and you're passionate about it, gives you a lot of joy and you're good at it, go for it. But for most of us, I think the simple approach probably is the best approach because a lot of people don't like to spend all their extra time thinking about money. They like to spend it doing fun things. So the last thing I'm going to share from Morgan's book is this. He says, my investing strategy doesn't rely on picking the right sector or timing the next recession. It relies on high savings rate, patience, and optimism that the global economy will create value over the next several decades. So that's all I'm going to share from Morgan Housel's book, The Psychology of Money. But 
I know that there's something called confirmation bias, which is we look for information that confirms our own views. And in a way, I could be subject to confirmation bias as I share what Morgan taught in the psychology of money because it just aligns so closely with what I believe in. But I really truly believe these are good principles for the majority of people out there. To keep it simple, to try to have a high savings rate, to not view saving as a sacrifice, but to view it as an opportunity to put money towards your independence fund. And when you're saving for independence, it feels a lot different than just saving or putting money away. And so that will be it for today's episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hope that all you, my listeners, friends, neighbors out there uh, supporting the podcast, I hope uh, very good things are happening in your life. I would really appreciate a review on the podcast platform that you listen to. That would be outstanding. And remember, the simple life is a good life. Mm -hmm.